Jim Joyce, you did your hair today. I, I dressed it up for you, man. <laughs> I, I shaved. I shaved after days of not shaving. I decided to shave this morning just for, for the show. Yeah, you got a new T-shirt as well. What's the freedom? Oh, I don't know. What is it? I don't. What, what does it say? Freedom, research, creativity. Yeah, it seems like yeah, that. That that. I mean, I don't do that much research, but the creativity, freedom. I like freedom. But um, so you're back from Dingle. Yeah, back from Dingle. Dingle. So I, we. Uh, I never knew Dingle existed until you said it. But yeah, it's very it's it's uh, it's it's super popular with uh, Americans visiting Ireland. So it's like it, it's a, it, it's in the county of Kerry, and it's um, what I say southwest most part of Ireland, and um, and we saw the dolphin. I think we talked about it last time. We met this 43 year old dolphin named Fungi. <laughs> which yeah. was, uh, so I don't remember if we actually talked about it, but I definitely saw the pictures on Facebook. So fungi, yeah, right, 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 yeah. So so we went down there, had a staycation in Ireland. Um, it's actually a big deal now because allegedly, um, it, like some Americans are flying into Europe through Ireland right now because the restrictions aren't as tight. I don't know if I heard really? this. No, I'm sneaking in. I miss Europe. Yeah, so, so you see people getting a little, like, if they hear an American accent, they get a little, like, what are you doing here, man? Like, keep your, keep your virus to yourself, you know? Oh, sorry. Got that already. Uh, <laughs> uh, by, by the way, uh, not to switch topics on you, because we already have our guest waiting uh, for right. a few minutes. Um, but um, uh, I, you know, I don't know if you've seen any, aside from the t-shirt, like my, my pecs are getting much better, right? Like it's my day five. I, right. I tagged you. I haven't seen you actually do any. So I'm, I'm shaming you. It's for a good cause. Our yeah, friend Marco. Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I'm all in. right, Today, all right. Today's the day. We'll send it to you on Facebook. I'm trying to keep my, uh, my profile to a minimum. I, 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 I hear you. No, no, no. I Listen, you got to prioritize, you know, is it a shot of digital health? But this yeah. is the beauty of it. We can combine the two, right? It's, it's uh, you know, 25 push-ups, no, 25 days. It's a good part. Hey, before, um, we, before yeah. we let our guest in, I just wanted to do a shout out to, um, I, I'm involved or I, we contribute Health Week and um, we help patients that are on injectable medication and every year. Uh, we are involved with a, a nonprofit organization called the Magic Foundation, um, and they're running their uh, big annual event, and it's for children that suffer from endocrine disorders. So every year in Chicago, they bring literally thousands of children to this like phenomenal facility um, and entertain them and then get the parents to connect with each other. So it's one of the most beautiful uh, things that I've had the pleasure of being involved with. So they're running their conference. Unfortunately, the kids can't come this year. Yeah, um, understood. But, but all, all these doctors, these pediatric endocrinologists for free, go and chat with the patients and help people connect on, you know, kind of kids that have different problems. But it's, it's absolutely, you know, for a day, these kids that suffer from a lot of conditions are just seeing people that are like them. So it's just this uh, beautiful conference and they have their conference on Friday. So I want to make a note of that. Shot of health. Good, no, good, good, good cause. Absolutely, uh, it, it is unfortunate in these cases, right? But uh, but also smart, smart move. Uh, obviously, for these children, cannot be exposed. So, um, you know, with, with that, actually, let's uh, let's switch gears to our, our our next guest. I'm actually excited. Yes, we're back to America uh, with our next guest uh, at the bar. Um, 
you told me something about him, his background, which I didn't know from the Health Excel podcast, which we'll link that. It was an awesome interview. I learned quite a lot uh, about our next guest. But I'll let you do the little intro because it has to do something with where you are. Yeah. So, okay. So, so Bill Toronto is our, is our guest. I'm assuming we've got that right. Yes. <laughs> Recorder right at Bill Toronto. So he's the head of uh, Merck and we'll let him describe his exact title, but head of Merck's uh, very large venture fund, kind of the pioneer in really uh, corporate digital uh, health investing, um, had built up, I think, J&J's uh, venture practice in a way, kind of totally unique model. We'll let him describe it. Um, has been involved in some of the biggest successes, but yeah, but Bill, despite having a name of Bill Toronto and kind of dark black hair and from New Jersey, he's actually uh, of Irish descent. His mom is Irish. Um, so he spends a lot of time. Uh, I would have never guessed. I would have never guessed. So let, let, let's, uh, let's do him the honors. Uh, I'll invite, I'll admit him. Great. So yeah, I, I see Bill misses getting on a plane. Here we go. All right, boys. <laughs> hey, wow. How are you, Jim? Hey, my friend. How are you? I'm doing. I got my shot glass because I'm ready for my shot at digital health. Awesome. <laughs> You're actually the first guest that that did that. You know what? You have inspired me. You guys yeah. talk amongst yourself for ten seconds. I'll be back. Right. Just me and Jim. You know, whenever we have to have a conversation, we have to drink. <laughs> it's making me a little nervous that the shot's empty, Bill. <laughs> I, uh, I was waiting. I, I, you said two o'clock. Now it's ten after. <laughs> I, I brought the bottle. Hold on. Let me let me let me pour it right now. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so Man, you look, you look Bill, good. You, I think you you do you, you're looking trim and fit. Yeah, thank you. I uh, just well, one one advantage is I have a lot of time to work out, a lot of time to eat healthy. Not doing yeah. crazy travel, you know, that you do when you're got the job that we have. So, you know, from that perspective, it's 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 been a bit of a blessing, but uh, unfortunate. It's still and, an unfortunate situation, but uh, and yeah. and I would have loved to be right next to you, probably with a mask on or six feet away. Um, and I kind of mapped it out. It's a solid over way over an hour drive. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. you know. Um, and the acoustics. So this is better. And then we'll, I'll come hang out another time. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to have you at the Toronto estate here. <laughs> right, right. Do you make people wear a mask when they go in the pool? <laughs> you only let certain people in the pool at this point. Cause I got a pond out front. So it's the pool or the pond. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nice. 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 So listen, Bill. So before we go, we'll let you, I, I was just giving you a, 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 a simple introduction, but maybe just give us your quick, uh, your quick introduction of what you do for people that don't know. Oh, sure. Yeah, happy to. Uh, name's Bill Taranto. I'm president of the Merck Global Health Innovation Fund, which is the uh, Merck Corporate Venture Fund that's dedicated 100% to digital health. We started the fund in 2010, so we're in our 11th year. We're a $500 million evergreen fund. We've evergreened it a couple of times now, so we're you know done really well uh, financially. We've done, in fact, we just looked at the stats the other day. We've done over uh, 60 investments. We've had 21 exits. We've acquired four companies. We've spun out uh, four companies. So, um, yeah, the fund's done extremely well. Uh, today, we're, our agreement's slightly changed since the day I started. Originally, the fund was set up to, to give Merck's optionality around M&A, where we were looking to acquire companies and, and really drive revenue and EPS for Merck. Today, 
not that that remit has disappeared, but we're a little more focused on Merck as a company. So for example, with Merck being an oncology company today, we're heavily focused on our investments in the oncology space. Um, but we still do lots of HIT infrastructure that we used to do in the past, uh, but all digital related. And, and, you know, as you may recall, the, the one phrase we always use is, is, you know, data is the currency we're going to use to transact in the future markets. So we want all our companies to be data companies. So we're probably yeah. one of the largest, if not the largest digital health investor. We're, we're pretty good size from, a, from an investor. We're growth equity, um, you know, mostly series C or later. We do an A and B round occasionally, but we don't do any startup or seed capital. Right. So, so Bill, for, for our viewers and listeners, more than probably for oh, the two five. of us. All ten of them. All ten of them. <laughs> By one fan. <laughs> is is hey, Sarah but, on the phone? But, <laughs> is but, Sarah watching? Because she's my one fan. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> send her. I forgot the signal we've sent her, sent you before, but she'll pick it up. Yeah, that's it. That was it. Uh, you were talking about fans. We uh, Just a little update for Jim. We didn't get to do that. We now have 88 subscribers to our YouTube channel. 88. Great. And, over, and close to 900 unique viewers. But um, anyway, um, we're, we're trying to hit Joe Rogan, uh, uh, you know, growth. Only a matter of time. <laughs> exactly. Just persistence. But, um, uh, you know, back, back to, you know, it, it, it intrigues. And I, I actually get that question a lot myself. I don't know why. Um, I think part of it... Uh, due to my previous job, what, what, what would you say to our viewers the biggest difference between a corporate VC and a VC? I, I would say in the traditional corporate VC, and we're a little different, I'll explain the difference, but what you normally see is in a corporate VC, their, their priority is strategic, and they may not be as focused on the financial returns. Um, obviously, a private VC firm is financial first. I, I would say what makes us a little differentiated is we're actually – we're both financial and strategic, but we are financial first. You know, the, our priority is to build a good company that we can exit. And whether it exits to Merck or not remains to be seen. But the idea is to build a solid company in which us as an investor and the shareholders all participate in that wealth. And that's our primary goal. And then we look at it then secondarily, if we can get a strategic component, for example, it's a digital health asset in oncology, that's even better. But it doesn't always have to be. But I would say corporate ventures typically are more strategic than financial, um, though some are certainly like us that focus on the financial as well. But we are certainly both financial and strategic with financial coming first. Yeah, yeah. And as a corporate VC, sorry, Jim, I, I'm like, even, even though I do talk to Bill constantly, well, I wouldn't say constantly, but quite a bit, but uh, we, we have never talked about this topic of uh, kind of the corporate VC. I, I remember getting invites every year and I just haven't gone to Health Evolutions which is very much focused, you know, yes, it was a CVC conference, I would say, but highly focused on payers, insurers. And I think you were, for the most part, one of the few odd, odd one out representing pharma, right? Or, or we not. were. When Health yeah. Evolution first started, today they've got, they have a corporate track, corporate venturing track at Health Evolution Partners, their conference, and we have over 30 corporate ventures there. I think the biggest one, though, is the Global Corporate Venturing Conference, which I was at the very first one 10 years ago and we had maybe 20 corporates, you know, the one that was held last year, I'll say that was live in, um, in, in California had over 800 participants, probably close to 400 corporate venture firms showing up. And what it's showing you is the rise of the corporate venture. Um, I think what a lot of corporate venture or corporates have realized is that, um, they know their industry as well as anybody. And if they can hire the right talent and put the right capital to use, 
you can do this as well as any private firm. And we've certainly shown, you know, financially we've made is, you know, we've made, you know, plenty of capital. So that's not an issue. Um, but I think that's what you're noticing is that corporates are taking it into their own hands now, not doing as many LP investments or fund to fund investments and really driving their own destiny versus, you know, farming it out through, uh, you know, private firms. And, and I, I read a stat, I think, you know, there's something when, in the last few years, it's something like over 3,500 corporate venture firms globally now. I mean, almost every corporate in every industry has a firm now. Yeah, yeah. It's a total pot. I mean, I was thinking about like we, all, we always met, mention our connected here, our buddy Martin Kelly and these things podcast. So we, but like when he was, because he came from the IBM Venture Group, right? And it was such a brilliant power play at the time when they set up the Venture Group in order to get visibility to what was happening in the ecosystem. You know, they kind of, they, you know, they set it up and they gave themselves access, but there wasn't, didn't seem like there was a ton of people doing that back way back then. Like it, do you ever, does ever get in a situation where you're bidding, you're getting like with all these new corporate ventures that instead of getting outbid or kind of fighting for a seat from venture firms, that's other corporate venture firms that you're kind of fighting for a seat for, or does it, or is there only one corporate venture guy in every deal or if there is a deal? No, in fact, we just, uh, you, you know, we're, we're so busy. You wouldn't, wouldn't think COVID was affecting us in any way. We, we just had a board meeting this morning and we got approval for three additional new deals. And one of them actually has four other corporates as the investors, no private uh, firms. So it's not so much, yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's competition. It's a lot of different types of corporates that bring different things. And in this particular investment, um, you know, we're the only pharma corporate, but there's other corporate, there's a technology player, there's a health system in there, there's a, um, I, I think actually two technology players. So there's just different types of corporates that I think get involved. We tend to see in our syndicates, um, we're usually the only corporate, there may be one other, and then there's typically two or three private financial, you know, private firms that are typically in the syndicate, but there's usually more than one corporate now, which I think is different than 10 years ago. You'll see more corporates now within syndicates and multiple corporates. And we invest with everybody. We, we don't, we'll invest with our competitors. We're about building a good company that services healthcare. And if it serves all of pharma, that's great. Um, where the differentiation comes is for Merck, they've got to understand how to use that asset and, and, you know, build it to their advantage. And that's where the competitive advantage comes. But these assets need to exist in the world. And that's what we right. think about first is building a good company. It exists in the healthcare world and then everybody should learn how to use it. And then that's where you develop your own competitive advantage. Yeah. So typically you mentioned earlier, right? Series B and above. Um, and I learned something new actually listening to health Excel podcast you were on. Um, that was still when we were all traveling and we saw each other in wonderful Barcelona, Spain. Yes. Um, oh, good old days. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I just I just went there for a second and <laughs> back, back to your mother in law's garage in New Jersey. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it is a nice setup. I you know I have the fan and sunshine, but 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 um, but anyway. Um, so I learned something which I you know I don't want to repeat a lot of the stuff. So I would urge the listeners will 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 yeah. uh, we'll make it up. Uh, but I think maybe talk about you invested Series B and above um and then uh, i learned that you actually have a private equity vehicle as well because the way you know i kind of look at it maybe more simplistically from early stage you know there's i don't know i can probably name 30 different patient physician communication platforms just in the state of new jersey i mean i'm exaggerating but you know what i mean right and then the best right. ones kind of survive and etc talk a little bit to us and 
the listeners about private equity. Why? Yeah, so in 2013, we, we started our private equity firm. And if you recall, we, we do something called ecosystem investing, where we, we start with an anchor tenant, which solves maybe half of a 50% of a healthcare problem we're trying to solve. And then we invest around it uh, to fill in the gaps. But what ends up happening in healthcare, as you well know, is scaling, right? How do you scale an asset that might start locally and regionally? And it doesn't matter. It's very much in the States as it is outside the States. Everything starts locally and regionally. And how do you expand that? And how do you build scale and revenue? And, and originally the concept was, you know, if you look at Merck and their P&L, a $100 million company on a, you know, a $16 billion P&L doesn't have any impact. But a billion dollar company is like a little brand. And so what we thought was, you know, venture capital is one tool in the toolbox about external innovation. You have M&A. And then we thought if we could use private equity where we would use that vehicle to start to cobble companies together that we thought could bring a fully integrated solution and build scale. That's why we, we ended up doing that. Now, originally, obviously, it was set up to, to, for Merck to, you know, drive M&A for Merck. But what we learned is where that tool comes really, in, you know, in place is that no matter what, there's still a scaling problem within healthcare. How do you, how do you build, you know, large scale across, you know, not only the U.S., but internationally? And the private equity firm allows us to do that. It allows us to put together more capital with larger partners than we would have with a venture fund. You know, typically our venture fund does, you know, anywhere from five to $15 million first investment is our sweet spot and follow on investment in the same. So we might put together 30 million of capital for a single entity. With the private equity firm, we can, you know, we can do anywhere from 50 to 100 to $200 million commitment with others. And, and when you have that kind of capital, you could build the scale that you need in healthcare. And so we've done that on a number of occasions um, in, in a lot of different sort of parts of healthcare, and it works really well. Now, not, not everybody does that, but it was it was the right tool for us in order to build scale, um, especially around the concept of M&A, because forgetting Merck even for a moment, anybody that wants to buy anything large scale in M&A is going to want the revenue. They're, they're going to want the, you know, the EBITDA, and they're, and they're going to want lots of you know, ability to access clients. And so you can't just do that with point solutions. And that's always been our philosophy that point solutions don't really work ultimately in healthcare. And how do you get beyond the, you know, the point solution? Well, you've got to bring assets together. And, and for us, that vehicle is our, our private equity firm. Yeah. Let's, let's talk uh, like what's going on. So, so nothing slowed down since, since we all got locked in, right? For you, like, are you back to back Zoom call, team calls? doing deals virtually, like as the pace touched at all, what are you seeing? Yeah, for us, it's been unusual. I, I, I was talking to my boss the other day and just commenting that you wouldn't think anything was wrong. Since, since, um, Mark, Sorry, you have a boss? I do actually. <laughs> I do actually. I know it seems weird because we're so independent, but I actually do report to somebody in Merck, but, uh, uh, rarely, but I do. Um, yeah, you, what we found is we've done we've done two spinouts out of Merck. We've done uh, three follow-on investments, and we've done five new investments all in this period of time. What's different, you know, example we 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 got approval today for a company that's in cold storage shipping, um, and uh, we couldn't do any of the normal manufacturing due diligence we would have done in person. So we we did everything virtually. We did virtual tours. We met the management team virtually. We actually haven't in person met anybody on that team. But it was a great company, strong management team. We we got we were able to do everything we could virtually. I think though ultimately there is going to require some travel in the future. I, I I still think you need that personal interaction with your companies. Um, I think what we've learned though is a couple things. One is we don't need as many face-to-face -face board meetings. Right? You can certainly do a few a year virtually. 
our diligence process has been more streamlined. We don't need to do everything in person. So instead of taking the four or five trips we used to do, maybe we need one trip. Right. right. And so I think what this has taught us is that technology and these type of you know, things that we're doing today can work. But you got to be very disciplined. Um, so we follow our same process. We still have our legal due diligence. We just, you know, we just do it a little differently than we did. It's, it's, it's comprehensive. We're just not getting on an airplane. Um, but what I think part of the reason that also answer your question, why we're so busy is healthcare in and of itself. People are realizing how important healthcare is in, the, in this type of, you know, not only pandemic that we're having, but, but overall health within this pandemic. We're getting COVID for a minute, right? This is important. So I, I think I think it's just a different way of doing business. And I think healthcare is driving a lot of the business. So I think we're in a fortunate industry. But who, who do you think, um, like when we look at the company, so startups in this space, like, you know, digital health startups that are new, like we, so we had Rob Garber on, which I know, yeah. I know you know, yeah. And, and he was talking, okay, there's going to be, this is at right at the beginning. I think, you know, Rob had the full beard going on. He was, this is right at the beginning of all this happening. And he was like, yeah, flight he's, like, he's wrapping it around himself now, but probably I have to check. <laughs> yeah, he's got that wrapped up. But uh, the, he's like flight to quality. He's like, you know, this is going to be a net positive for digital health assets. It's going to be a big flight to quality. Like who do you, do you think any of this, the early stage companies, are they going to suffer? You know, do they need still the hand holding in person? And then this is going to be, are there going to be too many, it's going to be too much competition now because everyone wants a telehealth offering. What's your take on who wins and who loses? Yeah, that, that's a great question. My personal viewpoint is that the earlier stage companies are still going to struggle. You know, we're fortunate because we, we do growth, right? We're series C or later. These are companies with plenty of revenue already. They have customers. I, I think where you're going to see the struggle within healthcare, at least for now, until we can get some handholding and, and, and more in person, is the early stage. The startup and the seed capital, I think, is going to suffer. And maybe even some of the A round companies are going to suffer. Yeah. Um, simply because I, I do think there's, an, and I mean this from a total company perspective, an immaturity to those companies, right? Whether it's the management team, their product, you know, the way they go to market, there's all these sorts of things that have to happen for those companies to even evolve to a C round. Right. Um, so I think. I think my viewpoint is those are the ones that probably are suffering right now. And I think, you know, there's a lot of companies starting that are trying to develop assets that are COVID related. I think those companies are going to struggle as well. I think companies that have a platform that can adopt to, you know, COVID related items are going to do better because they already have a built in platform. They probably right. already have a revenue base. So I, I do believe that the earlier stage companies are going to struggle at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think? Like, so we we were introducing you before as um, as Irish. We were saying how you're Irish. You're you're. Well, I had Italian. <laughs> can't, forget, can't forget the last name either. <laughs> That's really my, my mother would claim I'm full Irish, and my dad would claim I'm full Italian. But yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. a but your, mom, but your mom was actually born in Ireland, right? She's, she's Irish. Yeah, she's uh, Murphy's her maiden name, and uh, my daughter is named. My daughter's Bryn Murphy, Toronto. How's right. that for right. Irish Italian? Right. <laughs> Let's take it. I know you're married to an Italian woman. I saw you. I saw your families on your last episode, which are very lovely families, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Oh. We're dying but, by, by the way, let's see if you can exceed it. I've noticed, Jim, something like if I look at our trends, the ones with yeah. like the big spikes is the first one that you and I did. Right. And the ones with our wives and, <laughs> and better halves. Every, yeah. Everybody else like, you know, good, good numbers. Let's see, Bill, if we can, if we yeah, can, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you're going to have to spread the word. Yeah, I yeah. will. Where's my kid? They are today. I think they're better looking than us. I think that was <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, so the um, but yeah, so like like take like a country like Ireland, right? Like you know, with 
like, you know, med tech sector and everything else without the travel, you know, without the be able to connectivity, what's your, what's your play, what's your thinking about international business? Like Eugene's going to be setting up in Barcelona and traveling around the world. Does that get impeded? Hopefully. No, I, I think it's good. You know, we're obviously Francesca, you know, dear friend who worked for us, she had established our European unit and we're relaunching it again. Um, we're, okay. we're looking, but we realized no matter what, we still have to place somebody within Europe. Um, yeah. It's an important market. They can't be doing it from the U.S., which we've sort of attempted to do since Francesca moved on. But um, I, I, I think um, you still need local people that can, that can travel across Europe. You know, I think Eugene's is going to be in a perfect position to do that. Um, we're hoping to do that. You know, I don't care again where they live as long as they're living in Europe, because is that I, you know, is that a job offer on. Uh... <laughs> well, anybody but Eugene. He's a I'm happily married to your coach and and Marina, my wife. So right, but but the point is, I think, but I I think um, you know, right now, I would say we're struggling with a little access to European companies because we're not. Yeah. A, with the COVID situation, we're probably not doing the normal engagement that we would do, but I think it's important for us as a, as a fund to have somebody placed in Europe, which we will do again, um, and, and re-pick that up. I think there's tremendous assets that sit within Europe. You know, I'm still not sure 100% how well these assets are portable to the U.S. just yet because of a pricing, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, you know, and scale, right? We, we, we see a lot of assets that stay within country, but I still think it's an important market, especially Europe and Asia for us yeah. anyway and right. so our, our but our first step is to reestablish europe and that, that's our goal right you know you you, you mentioned um you know portability right from europe to us uh, i would even go the next step portability across the european union countries right because you know i think and, and obviously the three of us know this but um you know many just sitting in us kind of thing it's europe but you know, if you're an entrepreneur in Belgium, um, just because you got something approved and you got a market fit and the money flows, doesn't mean it will translate to Netherlands, which is you know one hour drive from there. Right. And that's always our issue with investing in Europe, right? I mean, all the assets that we've looked at, our our main goal is you know what is to your point portability across country, um, let alone the scalability within country, right? Um, you know, because we see interesting, we see a lot of great assets coming out of the Nordic you know, countries, um, you know, but they're small states, so to speak, in a sense of, you know, three to five million people, which is, you know, a small, small company. But the next question just becomes is, can it, can it go across the Scandinavian countries? Can it go across Europe? Can it go even, you know, towards Asia? And I think that's always our struggle, ultimately, with some of these companies. And um, it still remains to be seen. I don't, I don't have a good answer. Our the investments we have done outside the U.S. have done okay, um, but we still tr uh, struggle with scale. I'm actually trying to come up with, uh, and maybe Jim and, and, uh, and Bill, uh, like, you know, the example that comes to mind as far as, like, scaling outside of one country is probably, like, Babylon is one, right? I mean, they've hit, you know, quite a bit. But, like, name uh, Cry, Cry, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, it's also yeah. from the Nordics, right? They went to U.K. now. Um, I don't know, name... Silver Cloud is in the U.S. Beacon Silver Cloud, yeah. Well, tell like there are certain things at port, right? So anything in monitoring, I think scales, yeah. right? Because it's it's um, especially if it's, it has a SaaS backbone to it. Because um, we're seeing even with one of our portfolio companies, Preventus, we've been able to scale outside the U.S. But I see I see monitoring companies being able to scale. I see anything that's a software based company can scale. 
Um, right. If it's if it's a very specific product to a specific region, I think those tend to struggle a little bit. But but um, yeah. you know, look, it, it's like anything; it, it can happen. It but it's a longer haul, I think. Um, look, it's easier to scale across the U.S. than it is to scale across Europe. Right, and okay. I and I think that what we're finding is you know what the translate like there are a lot of similarities, but as we go into the U.S., it's been it's been a tougher market for us to crack. And like take like Silver Cloud you know, which phenomenal, phenomenal company, but they literally have been at it for years. I mean, the, the benefit of being in a small, like they started as an Irish company and um, the benefit of being in it, you have to get off the island really quickly to get any scale. Like you can't stay here. So usually you go to the UK, you know, right away, but the UK either go, you go UK or US right away. Um, no, but even in the UK, right, you're, you're still local and regional because you, you go to one of the, what do they call them? The, uh, yeah. Yeah. You go to a trust first and then you try to expand across the trust. So I, you know, I still even think that's not an easy thing to do, but, yeah, but it's just, but it's okay because there's so many good assets outside the U S as well. And, and we just have to figure out, you know, how we bring those either here right. or how do we build them. And, and, you know, again, one of our, our ideas is, is we've never launched our private equity from outside the U S could we use, you know, that kind of capital to, you know, cause if you can scale companies that are, similar in in different countries that begins to get you like is there a you know if we were going to do a silver cloud type investment well is there a silver cloud that sits in asia a similar type company well and could we merge them together those are the type of things that we think are are the best way to do it um you know from a capital perspective um and to a scaling perspective is, is really relaunching our private equity firm outside the u.s you you brought up uh, asia i was actually going to ask you because uh, we've been spending some time on europe you know, together and et cetera. Your your quick view on Asia, because I'm also I'm the timekeeper too. So we're 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 getting close, getting close. So. <laughs> uh, you know, Asia for us, the big thing we're looking at in Asia is the data market. So we're looking okay. for uh, data assets that um, give um, a Merck or the industry access to data that they don't typically have access to today. We're looking. It's I would call it more HIT infrastructure that we're looking at in Asia versus anything else versus the service side. We're looking at data security, privacy, and storage, data aggregation, integration, and harmonization, data analytics, and informatics. Um, and, yep. that, and that are what we're mostly looking at in the Asia market today. And, and I would say even more specifically, China uh, is our main market that we're looking at from a data perspective right now. Hit it. I don't want to. Well, so hold on. Before we do, uh, I know you don't have a drink, but uh, I, I don't yeah, know. I'm going to... <laughs> It, it reached us to season two. Well, since Bill brought a shot, I'm just going to do. I do have a call in half an hour, so um, so Bill, but, you know, at least virtual cheers. Yeah, we can talk forever, right? Yeah, I know right. exactly. So, when's the next? Uh, like, so when are you back on flights? I think. Uh, well, look, um, it's all personal, right? I think I, I'd be more comfortable if there was a treatment versus a necessary vaccine. Like if I knew I wasn't gonna be the guy on the ventilator, perhaps that would be more comforting. Um, I, I think in the fall, I, I, you know, I, I think if we can get past at least what's happening in the U.S. right now, which is a, an outbreak um, in certain states, I, I, I think potentially the fall, maybe September, October, I think we'll be yeah. back doing some basic flying. Um, I'm probably more comfortable going to Europe than I am yeah, probably traveling across the U.S. at the yeah, moment, but uh, you know we're on lock. But Merck's put us on lockdown in the sense that all Merck said to us is that if you can do your job remotely, then don't worry about coming into an office. 
Um, and then certainly yeah. we have restrictions on flying just based on country rules and state rules. So, you know, I would say our, right now our entire team, which is not based on only six people, we're, we're all just working out of our homes and it's been effective. I'm, I'm still amazed that your team is so lean and you're doing so many things. So just kudos on that. Thank you. Well, I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's always been that way. We've never been a big team. Um, the largest we've ever gotten is seven people. And, uh, but part of it is, you know, look, most of these people that come into our group are very experienced. The one, the one disadvantage to our group is we have no junior people. They're all experienced seasoned investors. Um, they all know how to do everything from M&A, venture capital to private equity. Um, so they're, you know, they're well experienced, well trained in the, in the toolkits that we want to deploy. And, um, and that says help. And the other thing too, is you, you may not know, but you know, Joe Volpe, who's on my team was with me at Jane. He's been with me almost since 1999. Wow. The, the least tenured person that's been with me on my team is Prem Tukhamzi. He's been five years. Everybody else has been with me, uh, 11 years and 10 years. I mean, the team's never changed. Uh, other than Francesca moving on to a better opportunity, you know, but even she was with us, I think, four years before she, she moved on. So it's been the exact same team almost since I started. I brought, yeah, you know, I you brought three people from so, J&J, and they're so, still here. So, so they, they either love you or just afraid to leave you. Well, I think, yeah, that's it. I, I rule an iron fist. No, uh, they're loyal, and, but they're, you know, they're good. And, and look, there's a lot said for working in the corporate, too. There's some things we don't have to worry about, like fundraising. And we certainly get yeah. you know, certain types of, of equity that Let's, others don't get. But uh, before before we break, so what's blowing like like when we think about what's happened in the last like um, three months, like all the innovation, everything that's happened, like what's blown you away? Like you 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 started your digital health fund, so you're investing ten years ago. Is it ten years ago? Yeah, yeah. So what's blown you away? What's blown you away since you started right now? What's what's thrown you off guard that you didn't think was going to happen in terms of digital health assets? Well, I I think you're starting to see increased adoptability based but it was done because of a pandemic right telehealth still wasn't being all that well adopted and monitoring to in a sense wasn't but today what i think health systems and doctors and everybody realizes that technology as an enabling tool in healthcare actually is really good and so what right. we're seeing is adoption that i hadn't seen before not i mean nothing like in the last three months or four months that preceded it. And that's, that's to me, what has, I think been the most amazing thing is just everybody getting on board with the use of technology within healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. That's on, on that note, um, I'm, I'm calling it quits. Uh, and I'm going to tell all the viewers and, uh, and listeners to click that subscribe button and get us to right. Joe Rogan status. And yep. I want to say that Bill, uh, is the first guest again, that I took a shot, actually a shot of digital health therapy, yes, I did. but also, just plow through our rules of not mentioning those words like nonstop. So, but I don't know if he knew that rule. So, but he didn't. Well, care. I didn't. And I saw a sign, but but I only mentioned yeah. it in context of of what we're doing. So, so anyway, <laughs> awesome. All right, Thanks, thank boys. you, everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>